welcome in Two Star Hawkeye Podcast. Coming to you on, apparently it's the eve before the eve before the world ends. Apparently we're getting some giant ice storm that apparently is going to kill us all and we're going to be quarantined in our houses forever. So that's what we have to prepare for. So hopefully, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, maybe it's on Friday afternoon that I'm recording this or maybe it's over the weekend where you are quarantined in your house. Thank you for listening. It's been a couple weeks since I've gotten to crack the mic just been a crazy couple weeks both with uh Creighton basketball doing what they're doing a top 10 team that's been a lot of fun to watch this year uh or uh just returned back from a trip to Colorado um I mean kind of not the I, I love going to Colorado but not really the most fun trip uh over there this time around as we had to go and um attend the funeral of my grandma that uh passed away due to stage four cancer in her esophagus just a very very sad few days uh, for the Lathrops in the last uh, few days. But um, returned home last night at about 7 o'clock Central Time, and I was treated to a pretty pretty good welcome home gift in Iowa's 83-78 to 78 win over number 17 Purdue. Now, if we're talking – if we are talking – unexpected results this would be right at the right at the top of the list because it wasn't that long ago and I remember thinking this after the first game at Mackey Arena ended of course Iowa lost the first matchup between these two teams 89 to 67 in a game where Purdue just lit it up from beyond the arc in the first half just buried Iowa and gave them little to no chance to make any kind of game out of it I remember thinking back to that that you know this this is a young team that's going to continue to gel they're going to continue to improve over the course of the year um and Purdue is in my opinion the best team in the conference i, I of course they they beat Wisconsin in their head to head matchup to kind of to give that opinion a little bit more clout uh but just the overall pieces that Purdue has i mean they've got the best front court in the conference with Haas and with Swanigan and i really like the collection of guards that they have and obviously, in the two games that they played against Iowa, they have some pretty good outside shooters. So, with with my thought that this team, that this Iowa team, while they're going to have blowout losses like they suffered in the first matchup against Purdue, I thought that eventually Iowa could get to the point where they could compete with a team like Purdue. I just gave them little to no chance to be able to do that within what two weeks. It was not that long ago. It was, it was um, just before New Year's the last time that they played. I think it was like December twenty eighth. Um, but yeah, two weeks, three weeks did not give them a chance in that short time frame, that short turnaround, to be able to not only compete with a team like Purdue, but beat them. But man, they did it, and this is this is a testament to how good of a coach Fran McCaffrey is. And he's taken, I mean, outside of the state of Iowa, he's taken a few black eyes just with the way the uh, end of that North Dakota game uh, happened and, and all that. But, man, people people need to look at what's going on in Iowa City right now and recognize that Fran McCaffrey knows what he's doing on that bench. And while I'll come on here and I'll criticize the way that he handles the end of games uh, because it's, I mean, 
the 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 record shows itself. He's like nineteen and forty or something like that in one possession games, and a lot of that you see the same strategy over and over again, not calling timeouts, letting guys play it out. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, that's that's one strike against him, and that does not cloud the entire picture of the kind of coaching job that Fran McCaffrey has done, not only this year, but his entire time at Iowa. Iowa was very, very lucky to have a coach like Fran McCaffrey, and his coaching really got put to the test this year. I mean, this was not not that I'm saying that like his job was on the line this year or that he might be on the hot seat if this wasn't a good year, all that stuff. But this but there was some pressure on him this year. I mean, don't don't get that twisted. This wasn't a pressure free year for him. He's got a the youngest team that Iowa's had in 50 years. This is still year six for him. And um, last year's disappointment probably still probably still weighing down on him and that's that that's a lot of pressure and to, to be able to, to have to deal with that with this young team that's not a good combination and at the beginning of the year it looked like this was going to be I mean not lick lighter s because the, of course this team was going to be a lot more exciting to watch than that team but I mean just as far as record in the way that Iowa competes it's it was probably going to look like a lot of those rebuilding teams. Like, I mean, for example, like Fran's first year. I mean, a, a lot of, not necessarily a young team, but not a team that was ready to compete consistently in the Big Ten Conference. Um, but that's but this is the kind of team that he was working with, a team that might be a little bit fun to watch, might, might jump up and get somebody here and there, but ultimately they're a very bad to mediocre basketball team that needs time to season with some of the young guys. That's what I thought that we were getting this year, and – Still sitting at 11-7, let's not pretend like that's a really great record and that Iowa's resume is suddenly uh, is, is suddenly light years better than it was 24 hours ago because it's not. I mean, look at the RPA, RP, RPA, RPI rankings. I Even after yesterday, last night's win, Iowa was still sitting at 112th in the country in RPI. But this team... Even at the even at 11-7 and even with the bad losses in the non-conference, I mean, namely the, the loss to Omaha. Even with all of that, this team has been so much fun to watch. And last night, I mean, I can't – I've seen this question thrown around on Twitter. I think it was KXNO that tweeted it out, um, whether or not this was a better win than Iowa State. I mean, I, I think that they're both equally really good wins, and they were good wins for different reasons. The Iowa State win – was huge because it came right off the tails of Omaha and a lot of like what I just said it seemed like after that loss most of the fan base just seemed reserved that this was going to be a very forgettable basketball season that it was going to be extremely long uh, to get to spring football and get to other things that are more interesting but this Iowa team they've rallied together They've played hard, but it's not all fluff with this team. I actually think that when this team is clicking, this is a really solid basketball team. I mean, just look at the look at the stats last night. I mean, obviously you got Peter Jock, who I think it's it's crazy that that dude is not a a contender for the Naismith. And I I mean I understand the reason why he's not. It's because the team he's on isn't very good and. But I think that that's uh, I think that's unfair. I mean, just go and look at his stats this season. It's he has put together a really solid, 
senior season, and he's got he'll be an NBA player. He will he's going to play at the next level, and I think that um, the last two seasons, actually three seasons, I can't forget about Devin Marble. Um, I think out of the out of the three draft picks that Iowa has had in the last three consecutive NBA drafts, be it Marble, White, and uh, Jared Utah, I think just watching Jock's game and watching how he's involved as a player, because you remember back his freshman year, he was almost exclusively just a three-point shooter. The guy couldn't defend worth a crap. The guy certainly wasn't a rebounder. Um, but but his dribble drive action wasn't on point. He he did not finish at the rim nearly as well as he does right now. And I think at, at, over the course of time, from his time as a freshman now to a senior, he has he has developed that ability to drive to the basket. He's a terrific ball handler, and all of the improvement. He's also improved as a defender. And I mean, I can't lie to you and say that he's a lockdown defender. But he's definitely improved. He's not just he's not a sieve defensively like he was as a freshman. He's made all those improvements, but his outside shooting hasn't taken any hits. He is still a tremendous shooter. And as far as guys at Iowa, um, and really anybody in the country right now, um, but it, but as far as I mean, just limited to the conversation of past players at Iowa. I've never seen, and, and granted, I have a very short amount of time of watching Iowa basketball. I'm only 25, but I've never seen an Iowa basketball player be as comfortable as Peter Jock is shooting with a hand in his face. The guy makes shots where he has absolutely zero room to breathe. The defender's right on him, and he makes shots, and he's comfortable doing that. In fact, a lot of times he, he'll miss shots where he's wide open, but he'll hit shots with a guy's hand in his face. The guy is the guy is supremely talented, and I think all of the things that he has kind of put together over the course of his four years at Iowa, it's going to suit him well in the NBA, and I think he definitely has a brighter future as an NBA basketball player uh, than Devin Marble and Aaron White and Jared Utah. I just think that he's I think that he's a better player than all those guys. Oh, granted, most all of them are different players from one another. But just looking at what Peter Jock does and then uh, seeing what the NBA has to offer, I think that Peter Jock really suits uh, the NBA really well. But Iowa gets that win 83-78 to in a game that was extremely back and forth. I mean, that's that game is going to be right up there with some of the best uh, basketball games in the Big Ten Conference this year. It Purdue gets out to... Gets out to a gets out to a decent lead uh, due to three point shooting. They shot the lights out of the basketball in the first half. They went seven to twelve from three in the first half. So immediately we all go to okay, this is just a repeat of the game that happened uh, at Mackey Arena. But got to give Iowa credit. They every single time Iowa made a little bit of a push. Purdue on the next trip down, they would dot Iowa's eye with a three, and that's got to, especially for a young team, that's got to be so discouraging. Um, to to have to to get your small crowd, and yes, the the crowd, even though they they got pretty lit up in the second half, I'll give them credit there. Crowd pretty pretty damn pathetic, um, especially given the the opponent that was coming into the building. That's a that's a pathetic effort out of Iowa basketball fans, um, and especially the students. I know that they're on break, but I mean, gosh, you can get more than fifteen students in there. Um, but given all that, your crowd gets into it a little bit, and then just to have Purdue dot your eye with a three, that's got to be pretty discouraging. But Iowa kept at it. They never quit. 
And the moment that I thought that they would quit was when Purdue went on a went on a big run. I think it was close to ten point run to close the first half, um, and to take a nine point lead in the locker room. I thought at that moment it was like, okay, this is Iowa played a solid first half. They gave a good effort, but Purdue is just a better basketball team. I, I thought that that's just where we were at that point in the game. I wasn't completely counting Iowa out, but it just seemed like Purdue was just a better team, and sometimes that happens. It's it's not always due to effort or, or to other intangibles. Sometimes you're just playing a team that's better than you. Um, and even given the final score, I still think Purdue's a better basketball team than Iowa. But, man, that effort in the second half and the execution in the second half was absolutely superb and mostly in the half court. I was just really impressed uh, because this is one of the things that, that bothered me about Fran McCaffrey's system a lot is that in the half court it just seemed like his teams always get lost in that area. And I didn't know if it was the players that he had in there or if it was the scheme. But – and it was it was really hard to tell the difference because because uh, he had the same nucleus of guys for four years with Gazelle and um, Clemens and and Woodbury. So I didn't I, I we could never really tell. Okay, is it just the players or is it the scheme? Because you didn't have a lot of interchange there with the players. Um, but this season, the, their execution in the half court, while it took them a little bit to get there in the non conference. This team is better in the half court than an Iowa team has been in a long time. It's it's certainly better. I know it sounds ridiculous, but they're better in the half court than Iowa's teams with Gazelle, Woodbury, and Clemens were all four years that they that they were that they were on campus. This this team was is better in the half court than they were, and I think that all starts with Jordan Bohannon. And man, what a what a point guard! That guy has turned into. Holy cow. Last night, he went 4-7 from the field, 12 points, 9 assists. And he just looks as a as a freshman, and a freshman that I didn't give much of a chance to play at all this year. I didn't think that he would be anything special. I thought that maybe he'd be a good bench player. He'd be a good backup point guard to a Christian Williams. But, man, Jordan Bohannon, once he was inserted into the lineup, it was almost instant that his progression begun and because it was rough at the start. I mean, I thought that he was a good shooter, but as far as just running the offense and, and getting his guys set, uh, I, I didn't have much confidence in him doing that, but man, he has grown leaps and bounds and he is no longer just this guy that might be able to bury a ridiculously deep three. Now and then he's a really, he's turned into a really solid big 10 point guard and the number the the best stat on that entire stat line are those nine assists because that tells me that he's he's setting his offense up he's he's getting them organized and he's finding open guy he's finding open shooters and a lot of times those shooters aren't open until they get the pass his passing is so his passing is so on point that he creates open shooters or he creates an opening for guys to drive in the lane. His passes are that on point, and that's something that's been missing from this Iowa offense for the last four years. And I said it on Twitter last night, and I'll say it again on here. It sounds ridiculous, and it really does. But I think, especially from the reaction I got in the, in the interaction last night, I think a lot of you agree with me. Jordan Bohannon, as a point guard, brings more to the floor than Mike Gazelle did in his four years. And that's not a slight 
to Mike Gazelle. It's not. He put up a terrific four years at Iowa. He had a nice career. Uh, he was an instrumental piece in rebuilding Iowa from the crater that Todd Licklider left. And he was a good basketball player. I mean, look, he was a touted, highly touted recruit for a reason. Other schools wanted him because he, Mike Gazelle brought a lot to the floor. He was a scoring machine when he was in high school. But when he got to Iowa, that that switch didn't really click. It, he he was not the scorer at all than he was that he was in high school. Um, but then I but then I just I I would watch Mike Gazelle, and while a lot a lot he would have some nice games here and there, but a lot of times, especially in late game situations, he never looked comfortable. And the, it's like the offense would go in a, into a shell with him running the point, especially in close games. I don't see that with Jordan Bohannon. I think I think Bohannon is a finishes at the rim a lot more consistently than, than Mike Gazelle. I mean, that was one of Gazelle's main uh, criticisms was that he would seem to just dribble in the trees and throw up junk. Jordan Bohannon dribbles into the trees and he finishes at he finishes quite a bit. He fin- I think he finishes at a higher rate than Mike Gazelle did. Um, and then of course, just as an overall shooter, he's a he's a better shooter than Mike Gazelle. Uh, Mike shot the three a lot more as a freshman, and that slowly faded away as his career went along. Um, to the point where he didn't he barely ever shot threes, but when he would, he would make a lot of them. Jordan Bohannon, I mean, it's he's not like he's shooting. He's not like he's chucking up a bunch of unneeded threes. He only took three of them last night. But, man, he's efficient. He's making them. He went two of three last night uh, against Nebraska. While overall it wasn't a great game out of him, he, he, he made some big shots down the stretch. And that was something from the point guard spot that this team has been missing. And, um, again, I appreciate everything that Mike Gazelle did at Iowa. I just, I, when I watch Jordan Bohannon play, I see a player that has more control of the offense, gets there, gets there, gets his guys set a lot better and organized. And he just, I just think he's going to turn into a much better big 10 point guard than Mike Gazelle ever was. And that's something that I certainly did not expect coming in. Uh, last night, another bad, bad night at the free throw line for Iowa, nine of 18, Cordell Pemsel didn't even hit. He had three attempts from the line, didn't hit any of them. Um, Tyler Cook went two of five, had a chance to ice the game uh, earlier than Iowa did. Eddie just made two free throws on a couple of his trips, but split, but split his pair. Um, but the thing that's good about, I mean, not good because I mean nine of eighteen is never going to be good. But the but the silver silver lining is that. The free throws that Iowa absolutely needed to have, they hit down the stretch. And, of course, that brings me back to Bohannon. He w- he went to the line with the entire game on his shoulders. And, man, I don't even think he hit the rim on both of his free throws. He puts them both in. And, I mean, that, that's an- that was another knock against Mike Gazelle. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to keep going back to this, but that was another knock. Mike Gazelle was horrible. And shooting free throws in late-game situations, he, I mean, I think it was the Michigan State game and – in uh, 2013, maybe 2014, where uh, he just needed to make some free throws and he missed them, and that's that that's something that I know that Jordan Bohannon has a lot of career in front of him. I, he could, I could totally be proven wrong in this. He he might not end up being as good as I think he is, but man, just as an overall score and and certainly as a free throw shooter, he just looks like a more competent point guard. Um, but free throw shooting bad last night, but luckily Iowa got out with a win even due to that poor free throw shooting. Um, but the but the stat that jumps off the board is is points in the paint. Iowa owned a forty to twenty advantage 
over Purdue. Again, the best front court in the Big Ten Conference. And that's that's something that just doesn't happen. I mean, I'd be interested to see how many games Purdue has played this year where they trailed in points in the paint. I can't imagine it's too many. Um, but I think a lot of that is due to, I mean, not only did Iowa really focus at feeding their big guys um, in Cordell Pemsel and Tyler Cook. Tyler Cook had a really nice game last night, 7-9, 16 points. Um, really showed some good post moves. I mean, because he wasn't he wasn't just a, a guy that was going to dunk the basketball last night. He showed some pretty nice post moves. Uh, on on guys like Haas and Swanigan last night, and he he finished at the rim, and that's that that that's going to be really big for his development. I don't, I certainly don't think that he's going to be as far along as maybe we hoped. He's he's certainly going to be back for a second year at Iowa, but man, that's he showed me a little bit of something last night. Um, that that that's really encouraging going forward, going up against a guy like Swanigan, who is going to be an NBA draft pick. But everybody contributed last night. I mean, gosh, look at a guy like Ryan Kreiner. Ryan Kreiner comes off the bench last night after uh, Dom Ewell uh, jammed his finger on the rim. He rejected himself on a dunk attempt, um, but he had to leave the game, and Ryan Kreiner immediately comes off the bench and goes 3 of 4. Um, and one of those buckets, he drove in on the basket on Swan again and made a reverse layup. I mean, gosh, that that takes guts, man. I mean, that's that, that takes a real sack. To be able to come into a game like that in a high-pressure situation, and I mean, not only did he make that layup, but then he made a nice little free-throw line jumper. Um, he made another bucket. Uh, that's those are some solid. That's a solid eight minutes out of a guy like Ryan Kreiner, and he rebounded the basketball. But I, I certainly don't expect anything to really come out of this game for Ryan Kreiner. Uh, I think he's still going to be a he's going to be a bench player, and he's he's not going to get a lot of playing time. But that's but man, when you can get eight solid minutes and. All eight minutes of Ryan Kreiner last night was extremely productive. That guy was really working on both sides of the ball, on both sides of the ball. But man, that's that's big time. That's big time out of him. And it was a big time win for Iowa. They salted it away. Um, they 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 withstood every single punch that Purdue gave them, and they grabbed an 83 to 78 win. So where does Iowa go from here? Just look at their schedule. Uh, the next time that they're going to play is going to be Sunday night at 6.30 at Northwestern. Northwestern, uh, one of the better teams in the Big Ten this year. And I certainly think that that's a product of a weaker Big Ten. But um, they, they've got they've got a solid team. And they've in, they, they've, grabbed a, they've grabbed a couple road wins in a row that were nice. They won at Nebraska last weekend and then at Rutgers. I know Rutgers isn't a great team, but that's still a road win. Um, and getting any road win in the Big Ten is extremely difficult. And then you And then after that, uh, you go home to Maryland, and I, I certainly don't think the game at Northwestern is a must-win because I don't think I, th- I just think Northwestern at this point is a better basketball team than Iowa. I don't think it hurts much if they lose that game. But then you return home to play Maryland, and that's a team that they've got Merrill Trimble, and that's it. And they're certainly not the juggernaut that they were a couple years ago. They're not even the, they're not even close to the team that they were last year. Um, and then you go at Illinois, at home against Ohio State, at Rutgers, and then on February 5th, you welcome Nebraska. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six games. Realistically, if Iowa, I mean, I'm not even going to have the discussion of making the NCAA tournament. I mean, that RPI is sitting at 112. That's an enormous mountain to climb if Iowa wants to be an NCAA tournament team. But let's just focus on the NIT and, and what wins does Iowa need to get to earn that because I certainly think 
an NIT berth will be a tremendous accomplishment for this young group. I don't think that they get the win against Northwestern. Uh, but I do think that they, I mean, that game against Maryland, that's a that's a must win. That's, I mean, you, you it's a 6 o'clock tip on ESPN, so you're in prime time. A lot of people are going to be watching you. That's a big spot for this group. So if they can grab a win against Maryland, that would be enormous. And I, I think that they need to get that win. At Illinois, that's a garbage team. You win that. Ohio State at home should win that game. Uh, Ohio State's pretty similar to Iowa uh, just as far as what they bring. Um, at Rutgers, that's a bad basketball team. You win that, and then you beat Nebraska. So right there, this team has a has the potential to go 5-1 and one in their next six. And where would that put them? That would put them at 16-8. Uh, and eight. On the season, that's pretty damn good, guys. That's, I mean, considering where we were just a couple weeks ago, that's that's pretty good. And then you run into the final stretch of the season, that that two-game back-to-back stretch in three days at Minnesota and at Michigan State. That's going to be really tough. But man, if they can go five and one in the next six games, that's going to uh, lessen the blow if Iowa goes zero and two in that stretch. And then, and then you have home games against Illinois. You have another. You have the road game against uh, Maryland, um, and you have to go to the Kohl Center. So there's there's definitely more losses on the schedule on the back end of this uh, of of the of the conference season. But right now, this is a tremendous opportunity, especially with a weaker Big Ten. These next six games, that's a tremendous opportunity to to grab some wins and start to collect some wins, and possibly try to get yourself as close to that twenty win mark on the season because it's, it's going to definitely help the, their chances at getting an NIT berth. And you, and you know what? This the, the kind of team that Iowa has right now, and again, with the weaker Big Ten, when Iowa gets hot and they get rolling and you have a guy, you have the best player in the conference in Peter Jock, um, I mean, it might be him and Swan again. It's hard to differentiate the two. They're both tremendous players. But, I mean, certainly, uh, I mean, in the top two players in the conference in Peter Jock, if you get hot – Anything can happen in that Big Ten tournament. And Fran McCaffrey's really struggled in the Big Ten tournament since he's been Iowa's coach. Iowa struggled in the Big Ten tournament ever since uh, Alford left. Uh, but if this team gets hot and they get confident over in D.C., anything can happen. And you get a few wins there, and you might solidify a spot in the NIT. And, I mean, hell, of course, if you win the whole thing, you're in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but but an NIT berth would be a tremendous step for this program, and this team is going to be a force to be reckoned with later on down the road. I, I really, I really like the collection of scores that Iowa has right now, and they're only going to get better. Uh, but moving on to football, haven't talked to you guys since uh, before the Outback Bowl. That seems like years ago. I'm not even going to spend time talking about the disaster that that was. But all the news in the last week has been about Greg Davis. Uh, getting not getting fired but retiring but I mean come on we all we all know what happened there uh Brian Ferentz is now Iowa's offensive coordinator uh but they're also looking for a wide receiver coach and possibly a running backs coach as uh Ferentz also got rid of Bobby Kennedy and Chris White I won't pretend like I know names of of guys that could fill those two spots but it's going to be extremely interesting to see what direction they go um but but going back to Brian Ferentz I mean absolutely a no-brainer and I was I was I'm not shocked because I just don't think people are are as educated as they think they are. Um, but all the, the the backlash and the the cries of nepotism 
after Brian Ferentz got hired. I mean, look, if 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 this guy, if Brian Ferentz had was Brian Thomas, he would have gotten the same job on Kirk Ferentz's staff. This was the next logical step for him in his career. He spent a lot of time coaching with Bill Belichick. Uh, he completely retooled Iowa's offensive line. I mean, I I Iowa's always been known as offensive line. You, but the but the things that Brian Ferentz has brought to the table is head and shoulders better than it was before he got here. And given the given the opportunity to be the run game coordinator, um, Iowa's running game is head and shoulders better than it was two years ago before he got that distinction. Uh, this was the next logical step for him, and if he didn't get Iowa's offensive coordinator job, he would have gone. He would have went and got hired by somebody else. And so it was good for Kirk to keep him on staff. You don't want to lose guys like that, and it's only going to mean good things for Iowa going forward. And I'm not with Brian Ferentz at the helm. I'm not expecting a juggernaut offense. I mean, that's just not that's not what Kirk Ferentz does. And as as much as I want to pull my hair out, and I just, I want to. I want Iowa to strive to be the best that they can in every single area of the field. Iowa's offense is never going to be they're, – they're always probably going to hover in that 50 to 60, 70 on a bad year uh, area. But you can't let it get as high as 118, and that's where Iowa's offense was this year. I know injuries played a factor, but that's unacceptable, and that's why Greg Davis is no longer your offensive coordinator. And I just wanted to address uh, the, the the belief that Brian Ferentz, the, the, the belief that the offense isn't going to look any different. That's baloney. I mean, go actually, if you actually watch the games, go, go back and look at Iowa's offense in the mid-2000s uh, all the way up until 2011 with Ken O'Keefe and compare it to the kind of offense you saw with Greg Davis. That's not the same offense. Maybe the running game is, is a little bit similar, but as far as the passing game goes, it's night and day. There's no crossers in Greg Davis's offense. There's there's little to no downfield passing. You never saw these quick little three-yard outs with, with uh, Ken O'Keefe. It's, it wasn't there. This is not the same offense. And I know Kirk Ferentz is in charge of everything. I know he is the lord master of this team. But Greg Davis, Greg Davis's offense that he brought in and installed at Iowa is not the same offense that was run with Ken O'Keefe, and it's not going to be the same offense that's run next year and going forward with Brian Ferentz. It's not. There's a reason why you have an offensive coordinator, and that's to organize the offense. I mean, if if it truly was Kirk Ferentz organizing literally everything, there would be there wouldn't be much reason to have an offensive coordinator outside to call plays on twelve Saturdays a year. So I, I think that that's baloney. I think that that's kind of a weak take. I think it's an easy take to make. Um, but that's that's not what's going to happen. I believe that this is going there, there's going to be more of an emphasis at throwing the ball downfield. Now, granted, you have to have receivers and guys that can make that happen. But you got you to gotta start actually calling the plays and actually start to try to stretch the field. It doesn't just happen. Um, so I believe that's going to be more of a focus. Uh, I have no concerns about Iowa's running game. That's going to be on point. But the interesting thing about Brian Ferentz's hire is that for the first time since Kirk Ferentz has been at Iowa, Iowa is going to need a quarterback-specific coach because with Ken O'Keefe and with Greg Davis, both guys coach the quarterbacks. And 
I don't I don't want to say that they were being run too thin, but it's just going to be interesting to see how anything if anything changes or if we see an uptick in quarterback play if we have a guy that just focuses on quarterbacks. And I've I've heard a lot of names thrown out. It's it's easy to throw out former players and former quarterbacks that you like. Like I threw out Drew Tate. Loved it if Drew Tate came back. Um, but I, it's, it's whatever name that they come up with, whoever they hire, it's going to be extremely fascinating to see if anything changes with Iowa's quarterback play, uh, simply because in the 20 years that Kirk Ferentz has been here, Iowa's never had a quarterback specific coach. That's going to be so, it's going to be so fascinating to see how that changes. Um, but as far as just the hire as a whole, I have, I had zero, zero, zero issue with it. I saw some people that did. I don't understand that, but this was this was the easiest hire they could have possibly made. But not only was it the easiest, because you can't always just make the easy hire. This was the right hire, and I don't think I don't foresee any risk between father and son between Kirk and Brian. Uh, Brian has shown the ability to uh, to speak up to his father when when things need addressed. I have I have, th- this. It's going to be so much fun. Um, it's, it's going to be, it's just going to be a relief to move on from the Greg Davis era because that was painful. That was a, and, and, and it set Iowa in a bad light. You're seeing recruits not come to Iowa because of how the kind of offense that they see on the field. I think with Brian, the offense is going to be so much better. It's going to be head and shoulders better than it ever was with Greg Davis. And hopefully we can start to get an offense that complements a really good defense. And that's, and that's what I expect out of Iowa. And that's, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we have months upon months to talk about it and prognosticate and predict, but man, September can't get here fast enough because I cannot wait to see how this offense looks compared to, uh, Greg Davis's offense. But that's, that is it for me. I've rambled on long enough. I'll try to put out another podcast uh, sometime next week after the after the Maryland game on Tuesday night. And hopefully I'm talking about two wins outside of just one and, God forbid, no wins for this Iowa basketball team. But thank you again for listening. I will talk to you next week. <laughs>